Are you ready to accelerate the growth of your business? Welcome to the Revenue Growth Podcast. This is the place for business owners, sales leaders, and marketing professionals to get ideas and inspiration to drive exponential revenue growth. Each week, you'll get actionable insights from the world's leading marketing and sales thought leaders and practitioners. Are you ready to grow? Let's join our host, Daryl Amy, author of Revenue Growth Engine. Welcome back to the Revenue Growth Podcast. I'm your host, Daryl Amy, trailblazer and growth architect. We're going to have a great conversation today about accelerating sales revenue with our special guest, Doug C. Brown. You're absolutely going to appreciate the growth insight he's gained in the process of creating over 35 companies. Today's episode is brought to you by Convergo, a team helping entrepreneurial companies develop and implement revenue growth plans. If you want to accelerate your growth while building processes that allow the growth to be sustainable, you're going to want to meet the team at Convergo. Just go to www.convergo.co to learn how other entrepreneurial companies are growing faster. Well, how can you think strategically about accelerating your sales revenue in this dynamic and rapidly changing marketplace? Doug C. Brown has some ideas. He's a highly acclaimed sales revenue growth expert and international best-selling author. Doug has coached, consulted, and advised thousands of people in businesses, as well as well-known companies like Enterprise Rent-A-Car, Nationwide, Intuit, Procter & Gamble, CBS Television, and more. During this period, Doug has created over 35 companies. And today, his mission is to help companies grow their sales revenue and have better performing sales teams. Doug, welcome to the Revenue Growth Podcast. It's great to have you here. Thanks for having me here, Daryl. I'm really grateful to be here. Well, this is uh, definitely, uh, as always, a fun and interesting time, maybe more interesting than fun time to be in business when it comes to uh, growing your companies. You've had uh, 35 different startups. You've been involved in some big companies. What are some of the biggest lessons you've learned when it comes to accelerating growth during challenging times? Stick to the basics, really, when it comes down to it. I mean, you know, when when you do companies and, you know, not all of those were successful, right? So mm -hmm. <laughs> um, you learn a lot, but the tendency is say, okay, I've learned that. And okay. And you go back and repeat the same habitual behavior that you got in trouble the first time. Right. So right. the reality is bring it back to the basics. I'm, um, you know, money out, money in equals something. And if we focus on consistent prospecting, uh, humanized communication, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, conversational selling, especially today, because the, the game's changed and, you know, uh, relevant follow-up throughout the process. Those are the basics. And the more that people can stay consistent uh, and obviously targeting the right, you know, potential buyer, then they'll grow the revenue no matter what. Absolutely. With so many great topics in there. Um, you talked about uh, conversational selling and the game changing. As you look at the marketplace today from a sales perspective, how do you think things are changing? Well, the internet changed it. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I remember I'm gonna date myself a little bit, but <laughs> you're in good company here, Doug. <laughs> About 30 years ago, I, I was I was going around, you know, when when DSL was just starting to come in from you know dial-up, uh, I was going to people and training them and saying, Look, the internet's gonna change how we sell. Mm -hmm. And they were telling me, heck, you're crazy. You know, that this thing uh, is just going to give us some information, et cetera, et cetera. I said, no, you, the reality is that clientele now 
they can gather information they never had before. Mm-hmm. So where there was a disproportionate amount of information that the sellers had originally, now the buyers, I mean, today, especially with a click of a mouse, they can know more about what's going on than, than the, the seller. And in many cases does. So it's the internet is, is more than leveled the playing field and uh, really had to shift things more to people are looking for help more than they were even in the past. Well, and a lot of it, it seems like right now from a buyer's perspective, and actually I haven't had a chance to read Brent Adamson's article in Harvard Business Review, but I just saw the topic of it was, was just about guiding buyers through the overwhelm of, of the amount of information. It's kind of interesting, you know, 30 years ago, the internet came on the scene and I graduated and started my sales career in 93. So that was the year that the internet became mainstream, right? All of a sudden, and it's just, you know, now when you're a buyer, there's so much information available in, in a, lot of, a lot of ways that there's, you know, you can get information to s- say whatever you want. It's conflicted. In some ways, buyers have more information than ever. And I think they're more confused than ever. I think it, it really depends on, I agree with you in, in many circumstances. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's in a sales role's job is to declutter that confusion yes. <laughs> and position overwhelming value for the exchange of the offer, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of times decluttering that for somebody is a major part of, of the value exchange. So, you know, it, I agree with that, that that can be the case. Uh, and I also would say that, you know, buyers today being more educated, being more confused and being so busy and not being able to access information now that the pandemic had swept through and changed everything to pretty much a, not a hundred percent, but a lot to the virtual platforms. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I think that is a, a salesperson, you know, a sales company's job actually to actually help these people uh, and do the right thing from them. I'm always a big proponent about, you know, win-win selling. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's one of the reasons I named one of my books, Win-Win Selling, you know, Unlocking the Power of Profitability by Resolving Objections, because it's really about communication. People today are looking for people to help them. Uh, and, and of course, there's some transactional sales, don't get me wrong. But the majority of the, of the people, even in those transactional sales, they're really looking more for a consultative play uh, mm-hmm. than, than they ever have in the past. Yeah, absolutely. And I think this, uh, you know, I'm interested in your perspective on how the sales conversation changes in light of that and what we need to do to equip our sales uh, sales teams to be able to have those types of conversations that we're talking about here. Well, rapport is, is more important than it's ever been, mm-hmm. right? And one of the reasons that rapport is more important than it's ever been is because there's so many choices out there today. So a buyer doesn't even have to talk to a, a, a seller any longer for certain items. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, we take the, the one that many people understand, automobiles. You know, last conversation yep. I had with auto dealers, 70% of their deals were coming in as an online lead first. Yep. Right. So, but you don't even need to go to an auto dealer. You can just go click, click, Carvana, whatever you name the company. And, uh, you know, you can have an automobile delivered right to your driveway. They'll even come pick yours up and take it away. There's, it's, you know, so the buyers are, have so many more options today. <clears throat> so rapport is an absolute because rapport sells more than anything. If we're talking mm-hmm. about a straight sale, 
if if somebody's in high rapport and all other things are equal, they're going to go with the person that they like, respect, and trust the most. Mm-hmm. You know, so and that <clears throat> a lot of people don't understand that rapport has to be continuous. It's not you go in, you know, they used to teach in old sales, you know, go in and look for the fish mm-hmm. on the wall or whatever, yeah. right? And the, aha, you've made connection and built rapport. Well, it's not good enough any longer. It's got to stay through the consistently through the whole buying journey. So that also mm-hmm. means that post sale whether it's customer service or inside uh, sales help or support, you know, uh, it it doesn't matter. Finance, everything, everything has to stay in report today or people will make a shift and go somewhere else. It's, it's, it's that uh, simplistic, I guess, or simple, if you will. Yeah. This is certainly not a time for complacency. It reminds me of our friend Lynn Hurstein that was on the podcast late last year, talking about the importance of vigilance and uh, avoiding complacency. Um, in, in this environment, it, it certainly is true. You, you work uh, in coaching and developing the top 1% of salespeople and helping them get in that, uh, that place. What, what are the top 1% doing differently from your perspective? <laughs> well, there's a few things. Um, I will tell you that most of them are selling on value in a value-based conversation, a value-based sale versus anything else. Mm-hmm. Um, and they are they are uh, massively prospecting compared to other people. So the master prospector will always outsell the master closer, you know, and part of the reason is the master prospector has the ability to say no. So if somebody has got a plethora of leads coming in that are qualified, now they can be much more discriminating against, is this the right fit or is this not the right fit? Right. And so, generally their sales will stick and those sales will generate more referrals than a master closer will. Oh, well said. Well said. What are some other things 1% are doing? Uh, They are consistent. That is one of the biggest challenges that uh, people uh, selling today or selling in the past. Mm -hmm. That's why people have ebbs and flows in their sales numbers in their sales cycles, but top producers are uh, just consistent in the whole process. They're, they're also very clear about not only their client profile, but the actual buyer profile. So they will, um, they will be clear about who is the buyer mm-hmm. and make sure that they're focusing the majority of their time and energy on the buyer and the people who influence that buyer. Um, top producers also uh, are very empathetic, far more today than they ever have been. Because they know they need to build rapport and top producers will go above and beyond to help the client see that value. Hmm. And, you know, uh, I remember uh, hearing Michael Wynn, uh, I think it's Michael Wynn, who owns Wynn Hotels, the Wynn Hotel chain. And uh, somebody forgot their medication, uh, an elderly person forgot their medication. It was like heart medication. So one of the employees took it upon themselves to get in their vehicle, drove almost three hours to the location where the medication was, picked it up and drove almost three hours back and gave it to the person. And that one made the news. Hmm. Well, you know, when they go back to Las Vegas, where are they going to stay? <laughs> you know, who who are they going to tell their friends about, right? Um, who, who are they going to uh, champion when somebody's on the internet and they say, oh, the Wynn Hotel is not really that good, right? Yeah. So it, it turns them into an advocate and a loyal, raving client 
probably for in perpetuity as long as they keep going back and in an expansion mechanism for revenue as well, because usually somebody who's happy, they, they only tell one or two people. Somebody who's not happy usually tells 12 to 15 people, but somebody who's overjoyed will tell far more than one or two people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that, that following the empathy with action, I think there's, you know, there's the sentimentality and emotion of, of empathy, which is important, but being able to follow that up with action, which just goes back to consistency and, and, uh, and follow through inside all of this. Where do you, where do you feel the biggest risks are right now for sales teams? We've got a lot of sales leaders and company owners listening in. Um, where do you feel the biggest risks, the red flags, the things that um, leaders should be looking for inside their teams that, that should give them pause. Okay. There's a long list. (laughs) So, uh, but I'll, I'll narrow it down. Uh, I think one of the first things they should do is they should look at how their people are actually selling the offer. Take a look, Mm. really good look at the offer. Because a lot of times when I look at companies, their offers, they think they're good, but there's a difference between a positioning statement and an elevator statement and an offer. And many companies kind of blur the lines on those two, mm-hmm. you know, um, and unfortunately, not a lot of people know how to write great offers, right? So, so you know, an offer being, pre, uh, you know, this for that, right? So mm-hmm. there's got to be a disproportionate amount of value for the particular offer. And Companies, especially if they've been in business for a long time, they're like, hey, we're still doing the things we were doing over and over and over. And, you know, times have changed. Mm-hmm. You know, we have to now be on the cutting edge of offers and offers get stale. And so I would look at the offer, number one. Number mm-hmm. two, I would look and, and, and uh, assess whether or not their people are in the right position on the sales bus. Because a lot of companies, when they hire which I'll get into in a moment. Um, you know, when they hire, they're hiring based on gut feel a lot of times or mm-hmm. uh, an interview process, you know, or mm-hmm. a resume, which is in some cases even uh, not advised because yeah. I've never seen a resume yet that hasn't been embellished upon. Um, and so, and the third thing is review their hiring practices, you know, because a lot of times people are hiring people and the cost of turnover is extreme in a company and that will decrease the revenue. It'll also decrease the profitability in the company. And, you know, I, I was uh, reading a stat the other day and I called one of my friends who does recruiting on a very high end. He says, this is a stat, right? That 70% of people who leave a job, sales job, are saying when they got into the job, it wasn't the job that they expected. And he said, mm-hmm. yeah, absolutely. This is spot on. You know, that's mm-hmm. what he's experiencing as well. So it has to be, you know, those would be the first three things. And then the, the fourth thing that I would give them is take a look at in the sales process, how they're optimizing. Are they expanding upon the sale? Are they using cross-sell and upsell mechanisms? You know, um, are they allowing discounting? Because discounting is a one way to really, you know, I mean, a lot of times people think, well, we'll give a 30% discount on this but they don't realize they might have to sell five to 10 other things to actually make up for the loss and the discount. Mm-hmm. Right. So look at all of the, the levers of the optimization mechanisms in the expand and how to expand revenue in general and, you know, utilize what should be and get rid of what doesn't, you know, or should not be there. 
a really powerful list right there. And and I think this is this is certainly a time to be um strategic in all of these areas. And I want to go back to the offer because I think that is such a and I agree with you, this is an overlooked um area in terms of of um being able to optimize your sales and and coaching reps on what the offer is or at least paying attention to what they're saying. Right. Uh, and understanding uh, what what do you see as the components of a great offer? Uh, that it has overwhelming value and it's mm-hmm. very easily understood. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, <laughs> I have to laugh because uh, somebody was trying to sell something to me uh, just uh, last week, and <clears throat> I was so confused by what they were offering. Right? I was like, I'm like, can you break this down or break that down? And they're using industry jargon that was technology based and things like that. And it's like, I'm like, you know, look, I got medical degrees. If you want to talk medicine, I, I can understand that. But when you're going into all of these terms, right. And I learned that when I started selling telecommunication services way back in the day, because that was mm-hmm. one of my first enterprise sales jobs. Um, you know, I couldn't walk in and go, Hey, you know, we're going to sell you a T1, a T3 and OC 48, you know, those type of things I had to explain to the, the, the buyers. But so I, I, I definitely see that keeping it simple and understandable, uh, you know, it's easy for someone to understand as well as providing overwhelming value. Mm-hmm. So when we used to sell telecommunications, for example, back then T1s, a digital 24, you know, uh, circuit. Mm-hmm. So back then you had a long distance T1, you had a, uh, a T1 for data and you had one for local. That was what it was. So they were paying for three of them, but we've had a technology where we could take all three of those t- on one T1 because a lot of companies, you know, they were only using six, eight channels for data, six, eight channels for voice, and then they would use, you know, same for local, right? Mm-hmm. What we were able to do is we were able to take those three and collapse them down and get rid of two of the T1s and therefore bring the cost down almost by four, uh, 60%. Okay. Right. So pretty good value. Yeah. Right. It, it it's seems a, like an easy sale. In a lot of cases it was, mm-hmm. but, but we also had, Hey, this is a new technology. So what happens if, what happens if we knock out our our service, you know, so we would have guarantees. It's like, look, we will guarantee a 99.9% uptime. We will guarantee that if your service goes down, you know, we'll pay you six months upfront to cover the cost, right? We will have two people on staff when we do the, when we do the transaction, as far as the technology transaction, those people will be consistently communicating with Verizon, whoever the local company is, you know, and we put all these assurances in, it was Mm -hmm. very easy to understand and, you know, when somebody's bill, you know, goes from $4,500 down to $1,500 and you've got all these assurances and it's very easily, um, you know, assimilated by the, the buyer, mm-hmm. it makes it a heck of a lot easy, uh, easier to sell that thing. Objections are almost non-existent when you do it right. Yeah. And it just makes me think about the offer when you, when you think about all of the different, first of all, the, the guarantee is something <laughs> that just seems to get overlooked all the time and everyone, you know, I'm, I'm a huge Jay Abraham fan and the whole concept of risk reversal in there is, is powerful. And then what about all the things that your company does to, to be a great customer service provider, to be a great um, organization that never get talked about during the offer. 
And I see so many great companies that provide over the top service, um, support benefits and all of that. Um, you know, in, in a salesperson goes in and doesn't talk about that during the, the offer and, and it's not documented in the, in the proposal. And right. there's so many opportunities there to optimize. I think that is, that is definitely spot on. And, and as you add that, the question is, what well, is, is that value to them? Right. So having right. a 24 by seven network operations center, is mm -hmm. that value to them? For most people, it would be, it's a, it's a, a sense of security. Um, and reliability. So we want to ask questions to discover what the value is for them. <clears throat> now we should be doing that prior to even speaking with them, quite frankly, <laughs> right? Um, to understand what might be happening and then proposing these questions and understanding. Now the key in value is also monetizing everything, Daryl. So everything that we talk about, whether it's a professional or personal return on investment, mm -hmm. you can monetize it. Yes. You know, time, you can monetize time. Mm -hmm. People are like, how do you monetize time? Well, add up the amount of time that this person's spending doing this particular task that now you can automate and then find out what their company revenues are or what they, you know, are making or whatever it might be. And then take that number and divide it by the number of, you know, and just come up with a figure. So it's like, we used to do this all the time in the telecommunications business. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, and we would, you know, we literally say, okay, we're going to, we're going to uh, not only reduce your bill by this, but we're going to reduce your labor cost by X, right? And we would just stack that number and monetize it. And here's the key, get them to say the number at the end. Yeah. Yeah. Right? And, and so once they get it and they go, oh my gosh, you know, geez, this is a, it's going to cost me, you know, 500 bucks to get back $10,000, you know, in, in a month. <laughs> or fifteen hundred to get back ten thousand dollars, it's it's very easy to understand. And plus, you're going to improve my productivity by this, so I don't need so much headcount, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You want to monetize. We all want to monetize our value. I see that as a big mistake that people don't do. Yeah, and I would add to that too. Another thing that that reps usually fail to monetize is the value of the risk reduction. Yeah. And, you know, risk is such a huge part of unspoken, usually part of transactions that I think we should bring, uh, bring right to the surface. And, and you can do that on personal return on investment because, you know, there's, there's risk, but there's also things like higher repute, mm -hmm. right? Uh, higher status in the company, better positioning in the market. There's all kinds of things that you, if you, if one really gets kind of expansive on their creative imagination that we can monetize pretty much anything. And, you know, it's, it's hard to say, oh my gosh, you know, there's $300,000 in return and, you know, it's $15,000. You know what I mean? It's hard for the human brain to go, no, that's not, especially when the human brain's going, yes, 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 yes. All mm -hmm. the way through. Yeah. Yeah. Great point. You know, right now uh, we've all, we're all familiar with shows like the profit where uh, yeah. of course they go in and find a dysfunctional business and, and turn it around. There's a lot of dysfunctional sales teams out there. I think that's the understatement of the year. If you were to walk in, if you had a television show, here's a great idea, maybe Doug, yeah, yeah. but if you had a television show and walked in uh, to turn around a sales team, what, where would you begin? What would be the first three things you would do? Uh, number one is clear goals, right? Clear goals. I cannot tell you how many sales teams uh, I talk to the person running the team or I talk to the owner of the company and they're not clear on exactly what they want to achieve. Mm -hmm. 
So they're sort of like, hey, I want to grow. You know, I'd like to grow by 20%. Okay, what's the real number? Right. Right. Is it 20%, 22%, 17%? I just want to grow. Mm, so doesn't everybody else. <laughs> right. So, so we can build a plan off a real number. Yes. Okay. Number two, assess before we prescribe. So assess before, I mean, think about it. You go into a physician's office, the physician, you go, doc, my, my arm hurts and my shoulder's really getting me right here. The doctor doesn't go, you know what, let's schedule surgery in three, three hours. And, you know, I'll meet you in the operating room, by the way, you know, good, blah, blah, blah. You'd be like, whoa, 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 doc, wait a minute. <laughs> what other alternatives are there? Right. So we want in a, in a, a uh, when we're going to do kind of a turnaround on a sales team, we want to assess what we have. We might have great talent. They're in the wrong position. <laughs> mm-hmm. I can tell you, I see people in hunting roles all the time that will never be hunters. Mm-hmm. They do not have the DNA to be a hunter when it comes down to it. So you can assess those by questions. You can assess those by doing an investigative process. There are also assessments out there that will measure specific things. You know, do they have the will to sell? I mean, there's, you know, a lot of good assessments and there's not some, but again, we got to get clear. What are we trying to assess? Are we trying to assess a personality? Are we trying to assess sales ability mm-hmm. or both? Right. Mm-hmm. So we want to figure that out so after the assessment and the investigation is done. Then we create a well-designed, organized revenue growth plan. A lot of times, Daryl, I see people doing this in the wrong way. It's like they want more salespeople. They want more coverage. Mm-hmm. Like I was, I was talking to a very smart CEO. He's like, I want more coverage. I said, why? He goes, I just, I, I know we can do better. So I started asking questions and, and I said, can I just take a little look under the hood? And he said, sure. I said, you know, your sales team's not following up with over half the leads that you're generating. Right. So yes, if you add more salespeople to the process, you'll get to those leads faster and it will increase your revenue. But how much money are you leaving on the table? Because you got a sales team that is making, you know, a quarter million dollars on average per person and they're not working very hard. So maybe we ought to adjust the lead flow in top of this, right? And we can start getting the behavior that you want. Mm-hmm. Because if you feel he was gen- he was paying for the leads. <clears throat> yeah. So we, we started averaging out the lead cost. It was like three and a half million dollars they were burning on leads. So yeah, we increased revenue. But the bottom line is you can increase profitability at the same time if you understand how to do it. Yeah. Fantastic. Fantastic. What a fun conversation, Doug. And um, I just, I really appreciate you sharing your uh, energy, your expertise, your vision with, with the audience. Uh, how can, how can we learn more? Well, if they want to get a hold of me, I'm uh, at Doug at business success factors.com. They can send me an email. They can call us at 603-595-0303. Doug Brown, one, two, three, four. That's my LinkedIn. Uh, those would be probably the, the best three. Uh, if they want to learn a little bit more about me, uh, can I plug a book or my podcast or anything? Of course. <laughs> um, so I wrote, uh, I have a book called Win-Win Selling, uh, mm-hmm. How to Unlock the Profitability by Resolving Objections. It's all on communication. Awesome. And I, and I have a podcast called the CEO Sales Strategies Podcast. Fantastic. Well, Doug, thank you so much. This has been a, a great conversation. I really appreciate you sharing your expertise with us today. I very much uh, appreciate and having me on here, Daryl, has been uh, a real pleasure. So thank you. Awesome. Awesome. And thank you to everybody in the Revenue Growth Podcast audience. 
This is an audience full of sales leaders, marketing professionals, and entrepreneurs that are driving towards growth. And right now, this is more important than ever. It is great talking with many of you. And I want to say a sincere thank you to everybody who is sharing the podcast, liking, commenting, subscribing, and most of all, leaving reviews. It helps us spread the word. And right now, it is critical that great companies get strategic about growing. So We've got an incredible lineup of guests coming your way throughout the winter and spring. Make sure to subscribe and stay tuned. My commitment to you is to continue to bring you actionable ideas to help you grow your revenue. And until next time, let's get going and let's get growing. Would you like to get complimentary access to the Revenue Growth Engine audiobook? Just text the word revenue to 21,000 or go to revenuegrowthengine.com slash book. You'll get instant access to the audiobook so you can get ideas to help you grow your revenue so you can scale your impact. Text the word revenue to 21,000 or go to revenuegrowthengine.com slash book to get instant access. Thank you for listening to today's episode. I hope you found ideas to help you drive exponential revenue growth so your business can make more of an impact. If you've enjoyed today's conversation, make sure to like or subscribe. It also helps us spread the word if you'd be kind enough to leave a review. Of course, we'd love it if you would share this with your friends. Together, we are growing revenue so we can scale our impact.